Good morning. I always wait for those big 747 lights to come on, and I want to duck because it looks like there's a plane coming in. But good morning. I'm so glad you're here. I want to welcome you. And I also want to welcome all of those who are watching online. Thanks so much for worshiping with us this morning. If you are a guest here this morning, I especially want to say we are so glad you're here, and I want to welcome you. Immediately following a service, I have a favor to ask of you. Would you just go out to the guest services? We've got a gift for you. It's just our way of saying that, hey, we're really glad that you came to worship with us today. And we realize that there may be some of you who are looking for a church home. And if you are, we're going to ask that you might consider making Central Community Church your permanent church home. And if you're online watching, just type in welcome, and they will make sure that you get taken care of. And I also want to just say to the rest of the church is that if there are people here that you don't know, just don't let them walk by you. Reach out and introduce yourself to them. You may make a new friend, but also just welcome them and tell them, I'm really glad you're here today. All right, so I have a couple of things that I want to just do before we get into the message real quick, and that is, is that Easter is three weeks away. So that, remember, I want to remind you that this is the time of the year when people are very, very open to come to church, and especially with everything that's going on in the world right now. And so I'm going to challenge you now, and I'm going to remind you again later. I want you to start praying about that person that God is putting on your heart to invite them. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. But I want you to pray about who it is that God wants you to invite on that Easter. And here's why. Because God has arranged the time for such a time as this. So that that moment when you recognize that God is working there, that when you invite that person, that you're not surprised when they say, yes, I would love to come with you. The other thing I want to do is I just want to share with you is that um, our new worship pastor, Pastor Phil Stacy, has a book, okay? It just came out. In fact, it's still fresh off the press. You can smell the wet ink. All right, now, the good news about it for Phil is, and the bad news for you is that is we sold out of them already in first service. And so you can go back there and you can put your name on a list and it's just for $10. And you know what? Here's the best part of it is that you might even get an autograph, okay? Dear Pastor Bob, my favorite pastor that I've ever worked for, I want you to know I'm humbled to be in your service. Love, Phil Stacy. So you might get something like that. If you believe he wrote that, you're in trouble. All right. So we are now in a brand new series, okay? We're getting ready for Easter. And the series is called Lessons Along the Road. So here's what I want you to think about. We're going to walk along the same road that Jesus did to Jerusalem, okay? And as we walk with him on this road, there are lessons that I believe that God wants to teach us. And so I hope you brought a piece of paper or a pen or you've got your notes there. And just write down things that God is speaking to you. That's all I want you to do, okay? All right, so here's how our story begins. Jesus and his disciples are walking through an area called Samaria. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and it's about a three-day journey. Now, as they are headed to Samaria, there's probably about, oh, 25, 26, 27 of them. And Jesus says to a couple of his disciples, and I'm just making, I'm not making up these names, but I'm just kind of helping you understand the story. It's like he says, hey, James and Andrew, would you guys run ahead to the village up ahead there? 
and would you just prepare for our arrival? No, what do you think Jesus meant when he said that? It's real simple. What Jesus was telling his disciples is, would you go and just make sure that we have a place to stay? There's about 27, 28 of us. We're going to need food to eat, and we're going to need to spend the night, so we're going to need a place to sleep. So would you just go ahead and prepare the place for us? And so the two disciples go off. When Jesus and his disciples get to the place where they're going to stay, guess what? The disciples come to Jesus, and they say, um, they don't want us here. What? What? I mean, Jesus, they told us they don't want us here. In fact, they want us just to keep on going. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think, what in the world is going on? But the Bible tells us why they weren't welcome there. You know what their answer was? Because he's going on to Jerusalem. That was their answer. He's going on to Jerusalem. Now, let me just remind you of the importance of Jerusalem to Jesus. Jerusalem is the city of destiny for Jesus, right? He's now on that road with his disciples. They're making the trip there, and they needed a place to stay. Now, you need to remember that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. In fact, there were many Jews that would never even step foot in Samaria. They would walk all day around and take the long route just to get to Jerusalem because they wouldn't step foot in, in, the, in the Samaritans. But Jesus chooses to go through Samaria on his road to Jerusalem. Now, what I want you to understand is, is that as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he gets rejected. And the people tell him, just keep right on going. Now, here's my first question for you this morning. Where do you think Jesus is going? I know you're thinking, well, Pastor Bob, you just told us, duh, he's going to Jerusalem. No, that's not where he's going. Jesus is headed home. He's headed home to his father. But you need to understand that the road that Jesus is taking to get to his home where his father is, is a road that goes through rejection pain, suffering, and even death. And I know some of you are probably thinking, why did he choose that road to travel? And here's the reason why. Because it's the only road that leads to his home in heaven where his father is. I want to show you something here. In Luke 9, verse 51, and I love this verse, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. I want to help you understand what it means when he says Jesus set his face. Here's what it means. It means there was a change in Jesus. His whole countenance, everything changed about him. He now pivots and goes in a different direction. He makes a marked change. His eyes are focused on Jerusalem. You know why? Because for Jesus, Jerusalem meant that he was going to die. Look at this verse. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. You see, when Jesus turned his face, when he set his face on Jerusalem, he was setting his faith to his own death. 
here's the point that I want to make you this morning as we begin this series. I want you to pay very close attention to the journey that Jesus takes. And you know why? Because it's not only the journey that Jesus takes, it's also your journey and mine too. You see, this journey that we're on, this road called life can sometimes mean we're going to endure rejection. We're going to endure pain. There's going to be suffering on the sake of our love for Jesus. And we will all die one day. But make no mistake, we're all on the same path with Jesus headed to our home, which is with our Heavenly Father. And that, my friends, is where we find our comfort. Amen? Stand with me out of respect for God's Word. As I read from... Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, as we journey on this road to the cross, allow us to see how similar our journey is with our Lord's and help each of us to recognize it's the only way home to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, as I begin this message, I want to give you a few facts that are really, really important for you to understand, okay? Here's the first one. When I talk about the Gospels, I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Those are the four Gospels. The Gospels basically tell the story of Jesus' life. Now, here's what I want you to know. When you take all of the Gospels and you combine them, you put them together, there are only four chapters that are designated to the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Did you know that? Only four chapters describe Jesus' first 30 years of life. However, when you put them all together, 85 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are designated to describe his last three and a half years on this earth. Of those 85 chapters, 29 of them are dedicated to the last week of his life. And of those 29 chapters, 13 of them are dedicated to the last 24 hours of Jesus' life here on earth. Now you may say, now why are you telling us that, Pastor Bob? Thank you for asking. Here's the answer. I'm telling you that because I want you to know how important the Bible tells us are the last days of Jesus on the face of this earth. And if these days are so important that the scriptures seem to put the focus on them, then we too should focus on what we can learn in these last few days and hours of Jesus' life. So our story begins here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
Now, when I look at that verse, the very first thing that pops out at me is that Zacchaeus was wealthy. He was a rich man. In fact, he was beyond rich. Because he was a chief tax collector, it meant that he had more money than most of the other tax collectors. Now, here's why I tend to say to you that that is interesting. Here's why. Because in the chapter right before this, there's a story of another rich man. It's the story of the rich young ruler. So here we have, back to back, stories of two rich men. I want to review for a moment just what happened in the story just before with this rich young ruler. Remember this story? Jesus and his entourage are moving through the city, and all of a sudden, this rich young ruler walks up to Jesus. He feels very good about himself. He's proud. He's wealthy. Other people knew who he was, and he says, good teacher. That's what he calls Jesus. And remember what Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only my father is good. And then the rich young man says this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus has the attention of everybody around him, and he says, I'm going to have some fun with this guy. And so he says to him, you need to obey the commandments. Well, this made the rich young ruler feel pretty good about himself. And Jesus specifically said, these are some of the commandments that you need to obey. You shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie. And the last one he mentions is, you should honor your father and mother. The rich young ruler's feeling pretty good about himself, and he straightens up and he says, all these I have kept. Oh, Jesus has him right where he wants him now, and so he says, okay, there's one more thing that I want to ask you, and this is it is. There's one thing you lack, and he says this, go gather all your possessions, sell them, give the money to the poor, and come and follow me. Do you remember what the Bible says happened? The rich young ruler turned around and he walked away from Jesus and he was sad and dejected. Why? Because the Bible says he had many possessions. Do you remember what Jesus said next? He said this, how hard it is for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now the disciples heard this, and so did everybody else. And the disciples did what you and I would have done. They said, Jesus, if this is true, how can anybody be saved? Remember that? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said this. He said, with God, all things are possible. That was the story of this young, rich ruler. And now we come to the story of a rich chief tax collector. And Jesus now tells us, this is how it is possible. Everybody with me? This is how it's possible. Watch. He wanted to see who Jesus was. We're talking about Zacchaeus now. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now here's something I found out, and I thought this was really interesting. 
Did you know that the people in the Bible, okay, men in the Bible, the average height of people during the days of Jesus was five foot four. I remember, some of you were with me, and I remember when we were in Bethlehem, and I went and I saw the doors, and there were two doors. One was a large door, and then there was a smaller door, and the smaller door is what the people would use to get through, and I'm thinking, how would anybody walk through that? I remember when I went to the grave of of Lazarus, I had to get down on my knees and crawl into it because it was so small. So when the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was a little man, we're not talking this, we're talking this maybe. You know what I mean? So here's this little man. He's a chief tax collector. The Bible tells us that he's a Jew. He's a son of Abraham. He's one of everyone else. But the problem is is he works for the Romans. And the Romans needed a lot of money to make their big machine run. Now, there's something interesting that I want to say to you about this that I found as I was kind of looking through some of the commentaries. This is one of the few times in the Bible where Jesus names the person he's dealing with kind of like a Bartimaeus. In fact, there are many who believe that Zacchaeus became one of the disciples because of what he had done or what Jesus had done in his life. Now, since Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, you need to know how he made his money. You see, the Roman government, as I said, needed a lot of money to run their government, and so they taxed the people. But the people didn't know how much the tax was. All they knew is when the tax collectors came to get their money, you better be ready or give it, or it could cost you your life, or you're going to prison. There was a fear amongst the Jews of the Romans, and here's one of their own, a man by the name of Zacchaeus, who is now hated, and he's the one who's knocking on doors and making sure people paid their taxes. Well, take a look at this. Here's some of the taxes and what they had to do. Now, we know that Zacchaeus worked for Rome even though he was a Jew. That's one bad mark against him. We also know that Zacchaeus, because he was a tax collector, was not allowed in the temple. He was considered unclean. But here's what his responsibility was. His responsibility was to collect the Roman tax, and the Roman tax was a flat 10% rate. All right, now that's just the beginning. There were a lot of other taxes that they would collect. For example, one of them was called the poll tax. You know what that meant? If you were breathing and you were breathing Roman air, you were taxed. Here's another one. It was a road tax. The Romans were very good at building roads, and they put mile markers everywhere, and they gave you a certain allotment of steps. If you went over that, guess what? You were taxed. Well, you may say, how in the world would they know? They didn't. They just taxed you. Uh Uh-huh. Here's another one. There was a work tax. One of the taxes was as you were tied, you were taxed based on the number of wheels of your cart. So you know what most of the Jews had? They had two-wheel carts rather than four because they were taxed per wheel. But then there was a ground tax, and you gave a fifth of the wine that you had and a tenth of the grain. These were the taxes that the people lived under, and there was a heavy, heavy burden on the people. Now you know why they hated them so much. So watch what happens here. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All right, now here's my question for you. So why is Zacchaeus up in the tree? Because he can't see, right? 
He wants to see Jesus. He knows there's this parade coming. He's heard about Jesus. According to the scriptures, he doesn't know him, but he wants to see who he is. And so he figures this is the root of the parade, and he goes and he climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus when Jesus walks by. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Zacchaeus wanted to see, but he did not want to be seen. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but Zacchaeus did not want Jesus to see him. So in that sycamore tree, he is hiding. Now here's the question, why? Why would he hide from Jesus? And here's the answer, because he didn't feel good enough. He didn't feel worthy. Why would Jesus want to have anything to do with me? I'm a tax collector. I'm hated. Nobody wants to come over to my house When everybody sees me, they turn and run. I have no friends, so I'm gonna hide up here. Now the rich young ruler, oh, everybody loves him. He's one of Jesus' peoples. But Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Hmm. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're not worthy to be in the presence of Jesus? Maybe you did something you know you're not supposed to do, or maybe right now you're kind of living a life that you know you shouldn't be living, and you're thinking, that's Zacchaeus, that's me. I'm the one up in the tree. Yeah, I want to see Jesus, but oh, I sure don't want him to see me. I've been there, and I don't even need to climb a tree. Jesus sees through our self-made walls. Do you hear that? Jesus sees through our self-made walls. He sees the blind. He sees the lame. He sees the hurting. He sees the down and out. He sees all things. And my dear friends, he sees you. And he sees me. So here's Zacchaeus, and Jesus stops. Can you imagine that moment? The whole parade stops. And Jesus looks in the tree, and the trees aren't very tall. And he calls out to Zacchaeus. He goes, Zacchaeus, come down. So what's happening? Jesus is going to the house of Zacchaeus for dinner. All right, now, I read that in a a different version, and as soon as I heard that word dinner, it reminded me of another scripture verse. I want you to think right now, where in the Bible does it talk about Jesus coming to your house for dinner? Revelation 3, you're right. Here's what it says. Look at this. Here I am, I stand at the door, and I knock. Man. Jesus says he stands at the door of all of our hearts, and he knocks, and it says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Do you see what's happening? Jesus has just invited himself to go to the house of Zacchaeus. Now watch this very carefully, okay? The word gladly is translated in the Greek keron. So when you look back at this story, and it says, if we go back, it says, what's the very last word there? It's the word gladly, right? 
Now watch this, okay? The word charon means gladly, it means to rejoice, it means to be full of joy. Now listen very carefully, but Luke uses it in a way it's not used anywhere else. And when Luke uses the word charon, he always associates it with salvation. Do you realize just what happened? When Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm coming to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus came down from the tree. What happened right there? What happened right there is that's the moment Zacchaeus got saved. Zacchaeus didn't get saved because he turned his life around. Jesus doesn't wait for us to get our life turned around and then he saves us. No, at that moment, when Zacchaeus came down from the tree, he was responding to the call of Jesus. And as he responded to the call of Jesus, come Zacchaeus, it was by the grace of God that Zacchaeus was saved. Not because of all of the things that he did later on. That was just proof of what Jesus did in his life. I don't know about you, but man, I want to do cartwheels right now. I'm not going to embarrass myself. But that's how Jesus works, and I need you to understand this. You didn't have anything to do with your getting saved. You are saved because of God's grace. And what that means is God came looking for you. He came seeking for you. You tried to hide from him, but he saw you in the tree. And he says, I see you and I'm coming to your house for dinner. And Zacchaeus was filled with joy. Why? Because somebody loved him for who he was, and Jesus is going to dine with him. Now watch what happens next. And all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, he has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. Oh, that just ticks me off, doesn't it you? I mean, here, here, these are the same people that were just walking with Jesus in this parade. Jesus, Jesus, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can, right? That's who this is. That's who Jesus is. And all of a sudden, just like that, when he goes to the house of what they think is somebody who's not worthy, what do they do? They turn on him in a heartbeat. As I was thinking about that, there's another story in the scriptures. In fact, it's just four chapters before this story it's in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost coin, he tells the parable of the lost sheep, and he tells the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son is what we call it. And my friends, in each one of these stories, in every one of these parables, Jesus portrays the father like this, a searching seeking, saving God. And the people in those stories reacted the exact same way these people did in the story of Zacchaeus. Now watch what happens here. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. This is back in Luke 15. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see, that's why Jesus told the three parables. Now, here's the thing I want you to know about this. 
in each one of those stories, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the prodigal son, each one of those stories, Luke ends with the word charon, which means salvation. In each one of those stories, salvation has come to that particular house. You want to know what one of the lessons along the road is this. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. How many of you were lost at one time? I was. And Jesus found me. And because he found me, I'm walking that same journey with him home because his home is now my home. Watch. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now here's what I want you to understand. This is not salvation. This is the result of what Jesus did in his heart. That's the statement of a changed heart. That's the saying, the speaking of a man who is different because of what Jesus did in his life. Now, here's what I want you to know about this. This is how it worked. In the days when Jesus was walking on this earth, if a man cheated somebody out and he returned what he had stole from them, here was the rule. You paid back 20% and then on top of that, you had to go to the temple and you had to pay a one-fifth temple trespass tax. Oh, aren't you glad that we don't do that here? We should think about starting that, Justin. No, I'm just kidding, okay? But that's what they had to do. So if you got caught stealing, you had to go return what you stole, and then you had to add 22% of it, or 20% of it. Okay, now, what did, what did Zacchaeus just say he was going to pay back? How many times? Four. Four times. What in the world does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that whatever was stolen could not be returned. In other words, it had already been used. It already had been spent. It had already been used for whatever purpose. So here's what Zacchaeus is saying. He's saying, I'm now going to, because of what you've done for me, Jesus, I'm going to go back and I'm going to pay everybody four times what I owe them. But before we get to that part, okay, you need to understand something. You know what Zacchaeus was saying to Jesus? I was a cheater. I stole. I lied. I swindled so many people. But I'm not that man anymore. Since you've come and now you are dining with me, I'm a changed man. And I'm going to prove it. The fruit of my repentance is going to be found that I'm going to go back and I'm going to repay everybody four times. So I want you to think about this. You're at home one afternoon, and there's a knock on the door. You go and open the door, and you look, and it's, oh, there he is, okay? <laughs> that was stupid, I know. <laughs> hey, when you're tall, you got to take advantage of things like that. Okay, so now just think about this, okay? Think about this. So here's Zacchaeus, and he knows you hate his guts. And so here's what he says to you. Excuse me, sir. I know you know who I am, and I know who you are. I know you don't want to hear what I have to say, but I'm asking for one minute of your time. 
I cheated you, I lied to you, I stole from you, and it was wrong. And I'm here to tell you that I'm changed, but I'm not only gonna tell you that I'm changed, I'm gonna pay you back four times what I stole from you. What you don't know is I stole $100 from you, so I'm paying you $400 back. I am so sorry. And he hands you the $400 and then he leaves. Can you imagine what that town looked like? All the doorways wide open, people standing right in the doorway with their hands open like this and their mouths wide open because they can't believe what just happened. That's the power of Jesus in somebody's life. That's how Jesus takes an individual with the most hardened heart and he breaks it. And our response to the love that Jesus gives us is this, I want to serve. So here's my message for you today as we bring this to a close. The message of today and the lesson that we learn on the road is this, is that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I just want to remind you of this. So you may ask the question, so when was it that Jesus started? When was it that God started to seek and to save the lost? And you know what the answer to that is? The moment sin entered into the garden. Do you remember what Jesus, when God came, what did he say? Adam where are you? From the beginning of time, God is looking, he is searching, and he is seeking for those who are lost, and he offers to us his salvation. And he spares us from God's wrath. And now we know where our eternal home is. At this Easter time, I wonder how many people need to hear that message. And so, I challenge you again today as we bring this to an end. I want you to pray about it, and I'm gonna be praying for you. Who is it that God has placed on your heart just to go and maybe if anything else, just lay this postcard. Maybe it's on their table at a restaurant. Maybe it's for a neighbor, maybe it's for a coworker, maybe it's for a family member, but just lay this on their table, just hand this to them and say, listen, I'm going, I'd love for you to go with me. And I promise you this, as you pray about God, will show you who it is that you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to give, and when you get that, you just simply step out in faith and God will do the rest.